Well, hello again, guys. After a very long absence, incredibly long absence, uh, I am back, And uh, but this time I decided to do a podcast instead of a video. I figured that uh, maybe a podcast might be a better medium to uh, for this blog, and also I will be talking about some changes to the blog uh, later on in this episode. But uh, today I want to talk about uh, connections between regions and how that can, uh, how looking at regions as interconnected can uh, allow us to construct more complete historical narratives. Uh, some time ago I suggested that trying to write a common, you know, quote-unquote world history would be like attempting to, you know, calculate a universal formula that explained absolutely everything in the universe. You know, how could one create an equation that simultaneously takes into account the laws of gravity, quantum physics, biology, chemistry, fluid dynamics, and everything else that makes this universe work? I think the same question has some application for world history. With centuries and centuries of events and people behind us, can a truly complete quote-unquote world history be written? Of, of course, you know, one can see many books and school courses that try to teach a world history, a general history of humanity. And these attempts to summarize human history certainly have their place. But history should not be thought of as a monolithic single body of knowledge. The field is filled with many different narratives and accounts from numerous regions and groups. One can study, for example, the histories of Aboriginal lands, Slavic lands, and so many other areas. And while we look into these narratives, we find that there will be interactions between these regions. In other words, events that occur in one place will have effects in other places. Historian Boris F. Porshnev said it well with these words, Is it possible to think of the history of one country on its own? This idea should be at the front of our minds when we are thinking about a world history. In relation to this concept, Matthew P. Fitzpatrick has written about ancient Rome's economic relations with India and China, which were created thanks to the conquest of Egypt and other nearby territories. Because of these territorial gains, Rome had acquired access to trade routes leading to Asia. Reinforcing the idea that events in one region have impact on other places, Fitzpatrick discusses how silk from the Far East distressed Stoic philosophers in Rome, or Stoics in Rome, who felt that the priceless cloth represented vanity and decadence. Fitzpatrick uses an interesting word to describe Rome's position within this relationship with the East. He argues that in this situation, Rome became a quote-unquote province in an international economic system. This word emphasizes that Rome did not have direct control over the territories with which the empire traded, so it had to act as a province rather than a central player in this environment. If historians see world history as a collection of such provinces that interact and influence each other, they can take their research down a more accurate and more interesting direction. Another scholar, Janet L. Abulugod, also talked about the so-called provinces. She explored this concept in her book, called Before European Hegemony. Writing from the context of the late, 19 early, uh, the, the late 1980s and early 1990s, she said, quote, No world system is global in the sense that all parts articulate evenly with each other, regardless of whether the role they play is central or peripheral. Even today, the world, more globally integrated than ever before in history, is broken up into important subspheres or subsystems, such as the Northern Atlantic system, the Pacific Rim, the Socialist Bloc, China, and the North African Western Arab Western Asia Arab world. But over and above these regional subsystems, there's an overarching world system that works through these world cities whose transactions are increasingly with one another. 
in, in, in the introduction to her work, Abulugagad included an informative map which describes how she saw these provinces interacting with each other from the mid-13th to the mid-14th centuries. Subsystem 1, for example, in her map, is the Western European world with economic centers such as Troyes and Legni. Subsystem 2 encompasses the trade routes between the Italian city-states and the Eastern Mediterranean. Subsystem 3 is the vast land-based world created during the time of Genghis Khan. These three subsystems all interact with each other, in directly or indirectly. Some systems act as bridges in this model. For example, the Mongol system connects the Mediterranean with the Chinese-slash-Southeast Asian one. In his book, Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World, anthropologist Jack Weatherford wrote a detailed account of how the Mongol subsystem was created. He argued that when Genghis' world was consolidated, it created a large degree of unity among diverse peoples under a tolerant Mongolian empire. It included Western experts, Vietnamese generals, Christian priests, Muslim imams, and so many other diverse groups of people. He also suggested that the empire influenced other civilizations, leading to the creation of a an Indo-Chinese culture in Southeast Asia. Weatherford also credits the Mongol Empire for allowing innovations in goods to travel as far as Europe. He also says that the Mongols were responsible for modern ideas such as paper money and credit systems which are crucial to how the world works today. Another example is the Russian Empire at the beginning of the 20th century. Russia fought a war against Japan from 1904 to 1905 and it ended up being a complete disaster. But I want to draw attention to what happened afterwards, all the way in the Russian capital of St. Petersburg, thousands upon thousands of miles away. The losses of the war caused great outrage there, and it drove the people to demand change. This led, of course, to the 1905 revolution, during which various reforms, such as the creation of a state Duma, were enacted by the Tsarist regime in response to the protests. Even though the Russo-Japanese War occurred in Asia, physically far away from the capital, it still affected the Russian government in a very big way. To bring this concept to today, think about the impact of social media. Thanks to the internet, and especially now with Facebook and Twitter, people from around the world can instantly find out news and information. Groups, militants, and political parties can spread their agendas and activities on these platforms easily and quickly, allowing the spread of ideas and propaganda. Hashtags, images, and videos have flooded the internet after major historical events from across the world, such as political elections, the rise of the Islamic State, and the 2015 attacks in France. Also, note uh, the Islamic State's use of that same social media to spread their propaganda. As the old saying goes, it is a small world, and social media creates instant connections between world subsystems, far quicker than even Genghis Khan's empire could. In conclusion, it is not possible to have a comprehensive historical narrative without considering the connections between individual regions or subsystems. Developments in one region will affect the subsystems around it, as trade, conquest, communications, and migration bring innovations and information. But before we go, we must remember that such systems can be disrupted. Both Weatherford and Abu Lagod talked about how this happened to the Mongolian world. The gradual disintegration of Genghis Khan's unified empire, as well as the bubonic plague, helped sever the connections between the Asian, Middle Eastern, and European worlds that the Mongol subsystem allowed. Also, again, bringing up today, imagine what would happen if networks like Facebook and Twitter suddenly became non-existent. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this blog episode, and I uh, hope it was informative. 
Um, as, I, as I was mentioning before, I'm making some changes to the History Vice video blog. Uh, first thing I've decided is uh, I've decided to change the name of it. I was looking at I was thinking I was thinking about the name History Vice, and I was originally looking at it like you know if if you have a you know somebody has a nerd vice, and me being a history nerd, you know, I you know history is a nerd vice kind of thing. It's my great vice, you know. I don't know. After a while, I was kind of thinking about it and said, like, ah. No, I, I don't feel that name is the best. So uh, I've decided to change the name. And uh, I've decided to call it Historical Thoughts and Interpretations. Through this blog, I like to study general general ideas of history. I feel that this might be a better, uh, a better name for it than a history vice. Like maybe somebody who's not familiar with the term nerd vice, you know, they're going to be like, what? what's, a, what's a history vice, you know? And also, like I said at the beginning, I, I th I'm thinking of maybe moving towards more of an audio format than a video format. Uh, I'm not saying that I'll stop doing YouTube videos. Um, certainly, I've done some, made some videos of things that were really enjoyable to film, such as uh, the Odin's Ravens uh, Viking reenacting group in Edmonton. That was really fun, and it was nice to be able to do interviews and and uh, actually give a visual uh, representation of uh, Viking uh, reenacting. And uh, so that, that was really good. So I'm not saying that I'm going to stop doing those, those kinds of things. But I, I think I like the audio format. I'm, I'm a fairly busy guy, of course, as is everybody, I'm sure. And, and uh, of course, you know, editing a video, putting all the videos together and everything like that, it does take a lot of time. So I'm thinking that if we can, if we can put this in a podcast format, maybe it will be, uh, maybe it'll be a little bit better. And uh, I think we'll, we'll run with that for a while. And uh, I think I might go back to some of my old videos that I've posted on YouTube. I, I, won't, I won't take them down, um, but I may go back and record them for a audio podcast format. So uh, with that said, uh, I hope you guys are all doing well. And uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we will talk to you next time.